Today I want to jump right into the Word of God, if that's okay with you all. You guys all right? If I could just preach from the Bible, is that all right? That cool? Um, Today we're going to pick up where we left off over the last several weeks. We've been on a series entitled Stand Firm in the Faith. Stand Firm in the Faith. And I just want to make this statement to you all. Regardless of what you may feel sometimes, regardless of the fact that there are challenges in life, regardless of what you see, what you've known, where you've been, what you're told, I want you to know that according to God's word, you can and you should stand firm in your faith. That's your position. That's your stance. You ever, you ever walk on something and you kind of just check to make sure that it's safe to walk on that? Right? Kind of check your footing? Well, for some of us, that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're kind of checking out Jesus. We're kind of listening in a little bit and exploring this. And my hope is that you will see, not according to my opinion, but from God's word, that you can stand firm because God will not fail you. Listen, if you knew the morning that we just had right now, when you get not one, but two reports of heart attacks amongst the body, not one, but two, when you're hearing about things going on and all you can do as a body is unite and just come together. When I, Look, one of our deacons, he was, he was on his way to go out with his wife and I said, I can't go. I need you to go to this household right now and go see this family who just lost their son due to illness. It literally just happened. And he goes, okay, where am I going? And we as a body come together. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you today, according to the word, one of the, one of the great tools that we have available to us to standing firm in the faith. And something that I want to do today as we're closing up is I, I really just, I want to pray for you, but I want, I want us to join together and pray for the body. Because, look, life happens, but how we respond determines how we stand. And we need each other to stand. Amen? And so, over the last several weeks, we've been on this series entitled Stand Firm in the Faith. And I can guarantee you this right now, while I have notes, I'm not really relying on, on them much. Today, uh, it's one of those, it's just one of those times where it's, they happen far and few in between, but it's just, I got to go where the Lord is leading. And so you just follow me, Naomi, I hope I don't drive you too crazy with the the slides. All right. But um, I I do want to point our attention to the end goal, to what the word of God says. We've been looking at the letters of Paul that were written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit unto a people in Thessalonica. And these people are no different than you and I. Why do I say that? Because they have the same focus of faith. They look to Jesus. And so as we're reading today and as we're considering what the word has to say, I want you to begin to see yourself and see yourself in the message that was being delivered to the people of Thessalonica. Because whether you know it or not, you are stronger than you know. You're stronger than you know. The Bible says that greater is he who is in you 
than he who is, in, who is in the world. You are not without strength. You are not without power. Listen, your fa- it might look crazy in your marriage right now. Things might look hard with your children. Things might look crazy with your finances, health issues, whatever it is. I want you to refocus Amen. upon what the Word of God Amen. says Amen. and stand. Right. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. It says, having done all to stand, it says, stand. You know what it's literally saying in the Greek? It's saying, having done all to stand, to withstand. Here's what it says. Continue to stand. Keep standing. Hold fast. Hold your ground. Don't give up. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, Paul is wrapping up his second letter to the people of Thessalonica. The Thessalonians were a firm group of believers. They were strong in the faith. They loved God, they loved each other, and they loved others. Uh, These people withstood in the midst of great challenges, great circumstances, great persecutions, but they held their ground. And so I want you to begin to wrap your head around the fact that what Paul is saying to them is implying and giving the emphasis to, although you've done all these great things and although you're standing I want you to understand that you can't stop doing what I'm telling you to do. He's encouraging them, while you are are strong in the faith, you still have to stand firm. And so he says to them in verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we are always to thank God for you. Brothers and sisters loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. This is simply just telling us And telling them, here's what it's saying. Hey, you are chosen to be God's very best. That's what first fruit speaks of. That's the the first crop that you get from the harvest. It's, it's, It's the cream of the crop. That's what you are as a child of God. And so he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, He called you to this through our gospel. What is he saying? Through what we've taught you, you know this to be true. God is speaking this about you. And so he says, he's called you to this. You see this revealed through the gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, that you might partake, that you might enjoy, that you might live according to all that is yours in Jesus. His excellence, his magnificence, all his promises. That's what that word glory means there. And so you are meant to enjoy the very best that is of God's in Jesus And so in light of that, in verse 15, he concludes, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. In other words, because you've received this, because you have a right as a child of God in Christ to be his first fruits, to enjoy and share in all that is of excellence in God, in Christ. He says, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast. Stand firm and hold fast. I remember years ago, there was a time where I was big into, um, into powerlifting. Um, and my strongest suit was my back and my legs. Um, and so I used to look forward to back and leg days. But when it came to back, I looked forward to it because of deadlifts. Because we would push each other. And so, man, I wish I would have brought my, my barbell with my weights. But just to show you a little something. No, let me stop. Let me stop. But we, we, would, we, would, uh, we would push each other, you know. 
And so we, I mean, we, we were young and dumb, so our form wasn't all that. But it was all about how much can you lift. And so we would throw, I think the highest I ever deadlifted was 495. Um, and I, I, would, I would do that about four times. But the thing is this, there, there would come a point when you're, when you're pushing, right? You get that first one, you're just open because you're like, I didn't even know I could do this, Right? But I, I used to work out with this guy. He was an Italian guy. His name was Joe. This dude was like a house. He was all chest, shoulders, but he had no legs. Right? But he was huge. Um, and when it came to, 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 to back, uh, he had this thing. When we would do deadlifts, we would, we would, we would chalk up, right? And we, would, we would grab onto the bar. No gloves. You'd rip your skin and everything, you know. We were just dumb like that. But anyway, we'd just lift and we'd get up and he'd... And then, uh, he'd go, hold, hold, hold it, hold it, don't drop it, hold it. And, and you're literally shaking, and you're like, all right, just a, just a little bit. Long. He's, hold it, keep holding, hold that. And, and you just be holding and holding. And I feel like that's what Paul's saying. Listen, you've already lifted this. You've already got this. Hold fast. Don't let go. You can make it. You got this. You're standing with this. You're strong. And so, as believers, I think sometimes we can easily forget what God says to us, man. I mean, we hear, we we take everybody else's opinion into account. We take friends' opinions. We go, man, I don't know how you're going to make it out of this one. That is not a friend. There is no encouragement in that. There is no love in that. And there's no godliness in it. If you're surrounding yourself with people that tear you down or discourage you, cut, cut, cut them loose. Run. You don't need that in your life. And so Paul says to them, and God says to us, stand firm. Hold fast. Hold it. Don't let go. You got this. And so this week we're going to transition into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And last week what we saw was that Faith, the life of faith, that it abounds more and more. Just when you think, oh man, I'm good. I love Jesus. I'm I'm reading my Bible. You know, I really believe this stuff. Paul said last week, I urge you, brothers and sisters, do this more and more. Don't stop. The Word of God puts it this way. Hey, I know you've arrived at one step of faith. But he says, we go from faith to faith. We go from glory to glory. Just in case you think you've arrived, we, as we saw last week, Paul says, hey, Paul, the guy that raised people from the dead, Paul that, that was stoned and himself was raised from the dead, Paul who did all these great miracles, Paul who wrote two-thirds of the Bible, uh, of the New Testament, Paul who had a personal encounter with Jesus and was taught from Jesus, that Paul says, I haven't arrived. They haven't arrived. And so none of us have arrived. And all of us at some point, if we're not careful, can slip up and forget the stance that we have. And so today we're going to transition into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. We're going to skip over verses 1 through 3 because it's just a continuation of chapter 4 where we left off last week. Where what we saw was that Paul was saying, hey, listen... If, if, here's another great reason for you to keep going for more and more because God, Jesus Christ, will return. 
and he will come back and he will raise you up. There will be a rapture and he will bring you unto himself and the dead will rise up first and then us will we'll be brought into heavens and we'll put on a new, a, a new heavenly body and all this other stuff. And so in verses 1 through, one through 3, he's just encouraging them with that. But in verse uh, 4, wrapping that point up, Paul says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, when that day comes when Jesus returns, it won't be a surprise to you because he's already promised it to you and you believe it. And so now in verse 5 through 11, it begins to take a change in the tone. And what, what, what I love about the word of God is that if, if you really just take your time and just appreciate it bit by bit, instead of trying to take on too much, just let the word of God teach you little by Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Is that you begin to see is that everything fits together. One point leads to the other and it builds upon each, each point. And so in verses up until this point, these last couple of weeks, what we've seen is that these people, are, they, they stand firm in faith and their, low, and their love and their hope and all that. And now Paul leads them to a next point. He leads us to a next point. He says this, he says, you are all children of the light and children of the day in verse 5. He says, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. In other words, what he's saying is this, because of your faith in Jesus, because of what you've received, you don't walk in darkness. He says, you now can see. You can see. And I can't speak for any of you, but I... I, I, I I dare say this confidently, that since receiving Christ, your eyes have been opened to some different things. Your heart is receiving. You're hearing in a different direction. And I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm not talking about where you've been at or the people you keep around. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that there is a heart transplant, a transformation that's happening. You're beginning to think differently. You may not have it all together. Welcome to the club. None of us do. Welcome to the club. You belong. Don't let nobody tell you otherwise. All right? But Paul begins now to, to encourage them. He says to them, you're children of the light. He says, you're children of the day. He says, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Verse 6, he says, so then, let us not be like others. He says, who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. I want you to remember that point. Say these words with me. Awake and sober. Awake and sober. It's very important because we're going to be looking at those in a second. He says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So I want to pause right there for a moment because what we begin to see here is, now you got to keep this in mind, that Paul is talking to a people that believe. And over the last several weeks, what we've seen is that these people, they're firm in their foundation of faith. And mind you, they, they only had three weeks with Paul. 
They heard the gospel for three weeks. Paul leaves and then Timothy goes back and he, and he goes with the intention of encouraging them. And what we see in 1 Thessalonians 2 is that Timothy comes back and he says to them, Hey man, they, they are strong. And so it would seem that these people have it together. And while they do because they have Christ just like you do, what I want you to begin to see is that Paul is saying to them, Don't fall asleep. Be sober. And so... The question is, why would Paul say that to a people that he says, you're children of the day? Why would Paul, by inspiration of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, feel such an urgency to say, stay awake, stay sober? And there's a reason why. See, because of the threat that they could become like those that were around them. According to scripture, it says, who sleep. And when he talks about those who sleep, it's depicting in the Greek someone who's dropping off to sleep slowly. It's talking about someone who becomes indifferent over time. In other words, let me, let me, let me give you an example of someone who's become indifferent according to the things of faith. I already know that. I got that. Yup, I heard that already. I, I could quote that scripture for you. Yup, I'm good there. You know what happens with that mindset and that attitude of the heart? That slowly but surely, it, it's, it's kind of like when you're driving a car. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, I actually learned this by accident. And I literally mean in the midst of an accident. All right? Quite a few accidents uh, when I was a lot younger. Uh, you ever drive a car? You put your hand on the steering wheel. And you kind of just, you're driving, and then all of a sudden, you just kind of slowly, your, your hand just moves maybe a centimeter or two, just kind of to the right or to the left. And the car kind of begins to slowly just pull, to the, just slowly, right? Like, it's not even noticeable. Ah, oh, no big deal, right? But I, wanted, I want you to see something about this, that if you just continue to go slowly, just, just a slight hair off, while in the immediate circumstance, it doesn't seem like you're pulling very far to the right or to the left. The longer and the further you go, the more you end up further and further away in the direction that you were never meant to be in. That makes sense? And so along that train of thought, becoming indifferent is like just kind of saying, yeah, you know, this is cool, and yeah, I got this, and yeah, I know this, but slowly but surely, we're so comfortable in what we've heard that we're no longer hearing the Word of God. All we're doing is rehearsing what we know intellectually. That makes sense? And the danger in that is that if all you do is settle in and go, yeah, I'm good, I got this, right? If, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll... I'll Listen to this, which is the truth, but you know, I also listen to some of this stuff. I believe this, but you know, I, I you know, that kind of makes sense too, and I, I, that helps my Christian walk. Listen, if you veer to the left or the right, even the tiniest bit, it's as if you're falling asleep slowly. And so Paul says, you're not called to sleep. 
The fact that the Holy Spirit saw fit to give this warning to a strong body of believers tells us something. You know what it tells us? That we too can fall asleep if we're not careful. We too can do that. But in order not to, we should take heed to Paul's instructions. He says, stay awake. Remain sober. That word awake there means to be watchful. It means to be active in paying strict attention to some, so that something or someone is not overtaken. Parents, you can appreciate this point. It's like your child playing in a park. And you see them running around and all that, and you're having a good time, they're having a great time. And all of a sudden, you see them climbing a set of rocks. And you go, no, 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 no. No, don't go there. You're watchful the whole time while you're enjoying the sun and maybe you're enjoying some food. You're listening to some music. You're ever watchful and careful that they might not be overtaken. And so that word awake there simply means this. It means be watchful to the extent that you don't allow yourself to be overtaken by indifference. That you don't fall asleep. Listen. If this is just something we do once a week, if this is not something that is informing our life, that we're allowing entrance into our heart, that we're exposing ourselves to, then the truth is this, that we're in a position to fall asleep if we're not careful. That word sober there means maintaining the disposition of one who's temperate. What does that simply mean? It simply means this. It means being steady. It means having self-restraint. It means you being careful over yourself to the extent that you go, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm, you know, that's just not what I do. It's just not what I do. And so it talks of self-restraint. Here's what it also refers to in the Greek. It speaks of someone who's dispassionate. What does that mean? It means someone who's not influenced by strong emotion or feeling. For those of you ladies that love to go shopping on impulse, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You got a day off. You're resting. All of a sudden you go, I think I'll go treat myself to something. And you go to the mall and you, you have every intention just to pick up a little something. And if you're like me, I'll tell on me, if you're like me, I will go for the purpose of buying a belt. But if I buy a belt, I need a set of shoes to match that belt. And But here's the thing, once you got a pair of shoes and a belt, you start thinking about, well, you know, I could use a shirt to go with this too. And you know, I, I've had, you know, the same six, seven pair of jeans now for about a year, let me pick up a fresh pair of jeans. And then once you're looking at all that, then I'm like, well, let me see what kind of blazers they got. Right? And it becomes a whole ordeal. It just snowballs, right? And so it's talking about not being easily influenced by those strong emotions or feelings. You know what it's also referring to? Popular opinion. You know, we live in a world today that people are moved by popular opinion. I got caught out there first service because I was, uh, I was, I tried to refer to a, 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 somebody who's like in and hot now and the name that came out my mouth was Britney Spears and I'm like, that's like 90s. You know, I don't, 
don't, I'm not into, I'm not in tune with all that, so don't judge me there. But, you know, we live in a world today where whatever the herd, so to speak, is leading, wherever it's going, that's kind of where people follow, people move, you know? CNN said it, so it must be true. Fox News said it, so it's got to be the truth. You know, pastor such and such and bishop such and such and my sister and my aunt and everybody at work and, you know, my family. And so we're kind of just moved by passion. Well, this, this term sober speaks of someone who doesn't fall into that. It's someone who's observant with care. They're wide awake. They're clear. And so in verses 8 and 9, I want you to begin to see something. Here, verse 8 and 9, I'm going to read that again in Second Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says this, but since we belong to the day, in other words, because we're awake, because we're children of the light, because we stand firm in our faith, because of what we received in Christ. He says this, he says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us uh, uh, put on, he says, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I want you to see something about what you've received in Christ. It says that your faith and the love that you have received in Christ is a breastplate unto you. It's armor. It's armor. You know where we as believers, when we're at our weakest, when we doubt the strongest, with the strongest sense that somehow God doesn't love us. If I was preaching here, hell, hell, brimstone, and fire, I guarantee you, you would not leave here encouraged. You would, leave, you would leave here questioning, am I even good enough to be in the kingdom? You would question, am I even worthy of what Jesus did? That's what religion does to you. It'll jack you up. It jacked me up for years. And so, I want you to see that when we understand how great God's love is. And I don't even know that that's possible. Because just when you think you understand God loves you, there's more to know. You know, there, there really is. When you, when you drop so low and you're so down and, and you feel so out, and, and, but you remember, but God, that doesn't change my relationship with you. That doesn't separate me from you. You say in your word that nothing can separate me from your love. No height, no depth, no width, no length. Nothing can separate. When, you, when, when we have that confidence, you know what it does? It protects our heart where we believe. It protects us to such an extent that even though we still might hear some of those things, even though we might be discouraged by some people, even though those thoughts may come, we always go back. We grab a hold of the wheel and we... Slightly just turn it back where it needs to. And we walk in a confidence, God loves me. God loves you. Jesus lives in you. You are a child of God. Wear your breastplate. I can tell you this, there's no police officer, at least that I know of, that goes out into the field on a day-by-day basis without suiting up. You know why not? 
because he understands what he needs to continue to stand. He understands what he needs in order to be protected. We as believers must understand that the faith that we have in Christ and the love of God is our breastplate. It protects us always, always, always. You start struggling with thoughts of condemnation, of defeat, depressive thoughts, you go back to the word of God and remember this, that God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't say he gave you a receipt. It says he gave his son, Jesus Christ. That whosoever believes, if you believe that, baby, get back to center. Stand firm. Hold fast. And I want you to see that our salvation, what we've received in Christ, is as a helmet unto us. What does that mean? It protects our thoughts. You know, I got one of those families that when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I understood what that meant as an adult. I mean, I, I accepted Jesus as a, as a teen. Based on my actions, even I would probably say, well, I don't know that I was actually saved. But the truth is that I did believe. I just didn't understand anything else. But when I came to understand the word of God, and I, I, I said, you know, this is, this is the path I'm following. It's Jesus and nothing else. I got one of those families that was like, oh, you, ha, yo te conozco, mosco. That just simply means I know you, mosquito. It's a song, anyway. Um, let's get back to where we're at. But my point is I have one of those families that say, oh, you, you're one of those Jesus freaks. You're a holy roller. Oh, you high and mighty now. Oh, you walk on water. Let me see you walk on water. Come on, Jesus Jr. I have one of those families. I still got some of those family members. And they would remind me of my past and they would remind me of my shortcomings even amongst them and go, I thought you was a Christian. I thought you, 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 were, you were down with the Jesus crew now. Or I, I, thought, I thought, you know, you were all holy and spiritual. And it's in those moments and others that when we understand who we are in Christ, what our salvation entails, that it keeps us from buying into those lies. So our salvation is as a helmet. Now in the midst of all that, I want you to see something here. In verse 11, Paul says, so he's already told us, don't, don't fall asleep. Stay awake, be sober. But in verse 11, he, he reaches like this climax. And he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I want you to consider what Paul's saying here. That word therefore tells us, because of everything that you know, because of what I've just said, he says, therefore, because of that, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. What are we seeing here? What we learn here is how to stay awake and how to remain sober. And what I want you to see is that it doesn't happen alone. It happens amongst one another in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. If you're like me, you hate 
driving long drives. My wife loves it. Loves it. She will sit. She wants to see the trees. She wants to see everything. Me, I'm like, just put me on a plane and get me there. I don't, I don't care about all that. South of the border is coming up. We've never stopped there. You know why? Because every time we've driven to Florida, I'm like, you can forget south of the border. Please, Dad, please. We're not stopping. We need to get to Florida. Get me there already. My wife, on the other hand, is... See all the colors, right? Why am I sharing with you? Why, why am I saying that? Because there have been times in those trips where, you know, you're driving 16, 17, 18 hours and you get a little, get a little sleepy. And if you're like me, because you don't like all the details and all that, I can't sit in the passenger seat. It drives me nuts. So I need to sit behind the wheel and drive. Right, I'll open the window, I'll crack a cup of coffee, maybe a monster, whatever. Just help me stay up. But if I ever get to one of those points where I'm just, just even for a second, you know, if, if I'm driving alone, that's not going to turn out too well. See, to stay awake and remain awake and sober, we need the person to the left and our right in the body of Christ who helps us stay up. I want you to do something with me. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look in front of you. Look behind you. This is not gym where you're stretching your neck. Don't worry. (laughs) But here's what I want you to consider. That if we're to stand strong in faith, and we're to do it the way Paul tells us, by staying awake and sober, we need each other. If you're looking for a big idea today, it's simply this, that our faith grows stronger when we remain united through faith. Through faith. Listen, there will be times where you'll have to stand alone. You've got nobody standing with you. It could be at work, it could be amongst your family, it could be in your own home. And you'll have to encourage yourself. Those times will come. They will. If they haven't, they will. I I guarantee it. It'll be trying. It'll be difficult. But the truth is that we cannot and we should not attempt to live a life of faith alone. Let me tell you why we shouldn't. And I really believe that some of you here really need to hear this today. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 9 says this. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Those are literally the same words in the Greek that were used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, be sober, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him, steadfast in the faith. In other words, hold, hold, don't let it go, stand firm, don't give up. He says, resist them, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, if you're like me, I'm a documentary guy. I could care less about movies. I could care less about TV shows. I could care less. But you give me a documentary. If you've watched as many National Geographics, Shark Week and Lions and Zebras and whatever, I, I'm, I dig it. I'm into that. It's cool to me. But if you've ever watched or have any familiarity with 
lions. What you'll learn is this, that lions, while they're at the top of the food chain in the jungle, they even refer to as the king of the jungle. Lions do not go after the strongest in the kingdom of the jungle. You know what they do? Let me read it to you again. Be sober. Be vigilant. In other words, be awake. Don't fall asleep. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lions, if you know anything about them, what you'll, what you'll find out is this, that lions, they watch the herd. And what they look is for the one that's furthest from the pack. The one that's unaware while the rest of the herd is moving. They look for the one who's unconscious to his surroundings. Lions look for the weakest link. And they go where that link is. And so Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, wake up. Hold fast. Stand firm. He says, resist him. Now, how cool is this? He says, you resist this lion, this devil, this enemy of yours, by one thing. Hold fast to what you know to be true. You know why the Bible says that? Because there's only one way that this lion, the enemy, Satan, can come at you. And it's by lies. It's by lies. He's a deceiver. That's all he is. And we as believers must stand firm in our belief. I'm going to tell you why. Because the moment we partake of a lie and we put some credence to it and we say, well, you know, that sounds kind of like it's true. What you do is you empower a lie. And that lie will wreak havoc in your life. The enemy speaks lies. He will come against you in regards to who you are in Christ. He will come against you as to what the word of God says. Think about this. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve were deceived, how did it happen? Satan just introduced a question that cast doubt. He said, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of that tree? Did God really say that? And the moment that happened, they empowered a lie. And they led all humanity on a path that made it necessary for God to make it right through Christ. That makes sense? And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, what we see is this. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, because you are now united to Christ, because now you belong to the Lord. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, listen closely, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is he saying? He's saying, if there's one thing that we as a body should endeavor, that we should strive towards, is this, to maintain unity amongst one another. And according to what we've been seeing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's so that we as the body can encourage and build each other up. Hmm. 
See, our faith does not just unite us to Christ. It unites us to each other. It unites us to each other. I want to share a story with you, something that I came across a while ago. It's about these trees in California. They're called Sequoia Redwood trees. They're located in California, and they're some of the biggest trees in the world. The General Sherman, one of those trees as it's been named, is in fact noted as the largest known living single-stem tree on earth. It's 275 feet tall, 25 feet in diameter, and it is approximately 2,500 years old. Something that huge must have an incredible root system that goes down deep in order to stand that tall, or so science would say. But that's not the case at all. The sequoia redwood trees have a unique root system that is a marvel compared to their mammoth size. Let me tell you why. Their roots are practically shallow. They only go down about 6 to 10 feet into the ground. And yet, they, they, they are known to withstand stro- the strongest of winds, the greatest of earthquakes, the most fiercest fires and storms, and the most, uh, uh, the, the most prolonged flooding in history. And these trees remain standing. Now, you might wonder, how can a tree of up to 500 tons, with the capacity to reach over 350 feet in height, and living for many centuries, remain standing with roots that can only go up to 10 feet? The interesting thing about these redwood trees is that their root system is intertwined with other redwood trees. And so while they may not grow very deep, here's where they grow, very wide. You know what their roots do? They reach out to entangle themselves with other redwood trees. They kind of go like this. They reach out, and here's what they do. They lock, and those roots continue to grow where they lock onto each other. And so while they may not be very deep, they're very wide in their relation to those that are like them. I want you to begin to see something about you and about the person to the left and to the right of you, the person in front of you and behind you. If you're going to stand firm, if you're going to withstand the earthquakes of life, the fiercest of storms, the challenges that come your way, we need each other to stand. I'm sorry I was squeezing your arm, so. (laughs) And so, I have a question for you. How strong is your root system? Let me put that question to you this way. How strong is your relationship and your connection to the body? How strong? There's no put down in that. You know, I'm one of those guys that I'm, I'm a social butterfly. I'm a hugger by nature. I just love hugging on people and talking to people and talking to your kids and seeing how you're doing and seeing where we could meet a need and all that. And so I'm all over the place. And if you've, if you've ever spoken to me before service or after service, you'll notice this, that while I'm talking to you, I'm always looking around. And I might be talking to you and go, hold on one second, hey, did you, how'd that go? This, and then, I'm sorry. We were right, you know why? Because I'm Hispanic. We could do that. 
We can hear multiple, we can hold multiple conversations all at once. You go to a Hispanic home during Christmas and you'll see people shouting and, 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 and you hear everything. Well, I've got that anointing as a Hispanic. No, but I'll tell you why I share that with you because I'm always listening and I'm always observing. And I don't want you to ever think that I, I'm not aware of you. I am. But in the midst of observing and listening, there are times when I'll hear somebody say, hey, uh, man, I'm just going through a real tough time, man. I'm really struggling, this and that. And I'm here holding two or three conversations. And I hear that. And I may not be able to detach or I do detach or whatever. But here's the question that comes to my mind in the midst of that every time. Where's the rest of the body? I want to challenge you with something before you leave here today. Make it your business to talk to somebody that you don't know. You know what I saw after first service? They, they took me seriously. They were praying for each other and some people were giving each other's number and talking and, and encouraging each other. But listen, that shouldn't just happen here. When you get a phone call And what you hear at the other end of that call is, my son just passed away. My son. My son. You know what the body does? It transforms. We unite. What do we got to do? What do we need to do? Where do we have to go? What, what's got to happen here? And you know, I thank God for a people. In my mind, it's like, I got to go. But thank God for men and women of God amongst the body, like our deacons, like believers, that go, say what? Pastor, I'll go. Let me go take care of that. Let me, let me go get that parent. Let me bring him over here. We'll meet with them in the office. Let's, let's assess what's going on. Let's take care of one another. When a brother walks into the church and says, I just had a heart attack on Thursday. They opened my chest, put two stents in. And he walks in and he's sitting amongst us. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You should be at home resting. He says... I just needed to be here. And we as a body, man, we just come together and we, we embrace one another. And we encourage and we build one another up. Listen, those details will be missed amongst the body when it's just about me and what I get about Jesus. We belong together. And our faith is not meant to be lived alone. Alone. It's not the way it's supposed to be, ladies and gentlemen. That's not how this works. I told you that I'm not even relying on my notes. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm skipping. So Naomi, just track with me somehow. 
But I just want to, in closing here today, I want to share with you a very short occurrence in the Bible. It might be familiar to some of you. It comes out of Luke chapter 5. And basically what happened was that Jesus arrives in his hometown. He's in Capernaum. And the Bible says that men, people came from Galilee and from uh, Judea, I believe, and, and all around, all the surrounding areas, and they, they come to this place, and theologians theorize that this was Jesus' home. So it's very likely that, it's very possible that that was the case. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, that all these people came to his home, and they were crowding his house. The house was so packed that people didn't even fit. And the people outside were so crowded around his house that they couldn't even get near enough while outside. But they all want to hear what Jesus has to say. And Luke chapter 5, 17 says, tells us something very interesting. It tells us that now it happened on a certain day that as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. You know what it's saying there? Religious people showed up. Church people came. And watch what the Bible says. It says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. They're there to hear something. And Jesus is there to heal them. If you read the rest of the story, what you'll see is this. They missed it. These Pharisees that the Bible identifies for us, these were religious people. They prided themselves on what they wore and their adherence to rules and the law. And Jesus is there to heal them and they don't even know it. But the Bible says that these four guys happen to be walking by and they come across this guy who's paralyzed. In other words, he can't do anything for himself. I doubt he even knew that he could get to Jesus or what was going on. But the Bible says that these men pick him up and they come towards this meeting, this church service, so to speak. And as they get there, the Bible says that not being able to get in, they go to the roof. You know, I look forward to the day when people start tearing our ceiling apart just to hear about Jesus. I'm so excited for that day. But I want you to get what's happening. Jesus is teaching, and his intent is to heal them. And they're all missing it. And these guys most likely were on that roof with the intention of just helping this guy to get healed. But as they're ripping the tile and whatever else on that roof, ripping through that clay, they're tearing it apart, a hole begins to open. And while they're doing all this, they're exposed, I believe, to what Jesus is saying. And something changes. Something happens. Verse 20 says this. Now mind you, they open this hole and they bring him down at the feet of Jesus. Everybody's watching this. And I, I, I question, what were the religious people thinking? How dare you interrupt this service? 
How dare you interrupt our teacher? They put him at the feet of Jesus. And watch what the Bible says in verse 20. It says, when he saw their faith, he said to them, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. You know how I believe Jesus said this? Now, before I get to that point, I just want you to see something. He saw what? Whose faith? Is that referring to one person? I want you to see what happened here. These four guys and this one paralyzed, this person who's paralyzed, who's crippled, are on this roof. And the roof begins to open up. They're tearing ferociously, trying to get down, get, trying to get this guy down. And as they're hearing what Jesus is saying, and as they're continually exposed to what he's speaking and teaching, while the healing was there for the ones down there with Jesus, the ones on the top begin to experience a change. Faith begins to happen. But how did that faith come to happen? It was as they came together with the intention of helping one of their own. Listen closely to what I want you to see here. This guy... These four guys probably had their own understanding of who Jesus was. There was something that drew them to that town. But this other guy, he had no means to get there. And so at picking him up and bringing him to Jesus, something happened amongst them. So much so that Jesus saw it in all of them. He saw their faith. And I envision Jesus saying like this. Everybody do this with me. Not a big deal. Jesus sees their faith and he goes, Man, your sins are forgiven. You might say, but wait, I thought he got healed. The Bible says that Jesus says, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people around begin to kind of go, did you just hear what he said? Who does this guy think he is? Who is this dude? That's blasphemy. And the Bible says that Jesus, perceiving what they were saying amongst themselves, says this, which one is easier, to tell a man that he's forgiven of his sins or to tell him to get up and walk? And he says, but so that you would know and believe that the Son of Man has authority to forgive all sins. He says to the guy, hey man, get up and walk. The guy gets up and everybody's blown away. But watch how this happened and it became possible. It was when faith operated amongst them together. I want to do something a little bit different here as we're closing out today. Let me make this point first before we close. Our faith is strongest when we look in the same direction, not at each other. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When you lock arms as the redwood tree that you are and you begin to grow roots and you connect with one person 
and you connect with another person, and you connect with another person, and you connect with someone else, and you go ahead and you connect with somebody else. And before long, what begins to happen is you connect. Watch what begins to happen. There's a network of strength and support that begins to build to such an extent that you have no choice but to stand. You know why? Because I ain't letting you down, and you're not letting me down, and we're not letting each other down, and we can stand in faith because of the one thing that unites us, which is Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. And so our faith grows stronger when we remain united through faith. Remember what what I said earlier. Our faith doesn't just unite us to Christ. It unites us to each other. It's about time that we start operating as the body. This body knows no color. This body knows no gender. This body knows no past. This body knows no socioeconomic background. This body knows no, 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 no manner of dress. This body only knows one thing. We're one. In faith. That's what unites us, but that's what sustains us and keeps us standing strong. Amen? Let's stand.